Amen. Amen. Welcome. Good to see you all, Antioch. I couldn't agree with you more that um, the worship here, I just, I, I actually have a difficulty in pushing out for as much as I talk, you're going to have trouble believing this, but it takes me a lot to talk. And so when I know I'm going to preach, I always come in here and go, I just can't worship like I do. And then I come in here and I can't stop myself and I almost lose my voice. So it's always a struggle, but it's because the worship is so great here. Um, good morning. If you are visiting with us, we're so glad you're here, and I hope that you're coming full of expectation that God's got something for you, because that's kind of how we roll around here. Yeah. And we're a Bible-believing, note-taking church, so if you take out your Bibles and something to take notes with, it will show God your expectation that he is going to speak to us today. I want to, I have two acknowledgments that I need to do before I step into the message. Um, Andrew is still on sabbatical and about another almost two months. And I just wanted to acknowledge the guys that stepped up. And how about that series on the minor prophets? Um, Did they do a great job? I'm going to tell you, I've been preaching for a while and the minor prophets are not a softball. That's not something that God lobbed up, and they did an amazing job. So thank you to Austin and Sam and Ron, and there's more coming when I'm done. So we have that to look forward. I also want to take a very gratuitous moment and say that today is my anniversary. Lynn and I I have been married for 40 years today. And we dated five years before that, so finally we have been together for 45 years. And I want to say to you, sweetheart, that finally when I met you, I knew for the first time to look beyond myself and what it was like to desire something better for someone else than I desired for myself. Thank you for being my teacher and for being my best friend and my number one fan for 45 years. Don't ever want to do life without you, sweetie. Um, Yeah. <laughs> she is that good, to be honest with you. I mean, who didn't marry up, right? Okay. So we're in a series that we're calling titled Only Jesus. And the hope for this series is for us to focus on some of the gifts that we have only Jesus could bring to us. Only Jesus could give to us. If, if it weren't for Jesus, we wouldn't have. Gifts that only Jesus could deliver to us in his holiness and in his power. Last week, we took, uh, last week we took a deep dive into John's purpose and passion for writing his gospel. John is at the end of his life and he must tell all who would read his gospel what he alone knew about Jesus. The things that he experienced with Jesus that no one else had seen or experienced. And he had this passion and this desire because he knew if he didn't write these things down that they were going to die with him. And so that's the passion that he communicates his gospel. And he needed to pick a way that he could communicate to everybody in the culture that would read his gospel. What could he say that would communicate to everybody, no matter if they were Jew or Gentile, educated or poor, slave or leader, philosopher or business leader, who would know what word could he pick that no matter who read it, They would know the strength of what John was proclaiming to the world. And in Jesus calling, in John calling Jesus the Logos, John picked the perfect word. 
We saw that in, in the culture, they had all these questions. And John was saying by picking the word logos, you have all these questions in science, in religion, in education, in math, in philosophy, in business, in nature. All these questions you have no answers for. And you give them and you attribute to them to this unknown, undefinable, unknowable power called the logos. Well, I got news for you, John was saying. That logos... He has come, and he has a name, and he is Jesus. And John, with some of his last words to the world, proclaimed, Jesus alone, Jesus alone has the answers for the human heart, the human condition, and the human journey. And anybody who read it would have known exactly what he was proclaiming. This week... We continue in our series with another gift we have that only Jesus could give us, and that is the gift of grace. I got introduced grace early. I remember that when I was about 12 years old, at least this is my first recollection of going, wow, what was that? Um, I decided to play a trick on my brother. I had made a new discovery in our house that those locks that were around the house, they weren't really locks. You could pick them. And so I now knew how to pick all the locks, and that was a really fun discovery for me. We had in our bathroom that we shared, we had a separate bathroom between the sinks and the bathtub. My brother went in, started to draw his bath, turned on the bathtub, went back to his bedroom while it filled, and I went in there, locked the door, and closed it. And I stayed outside, and I waited for his reaction because he came back and he came back to try and get in the door to go to the bathtub and panicked because he realized he had locked the door and couldn't get in to shut the water off. Being a very caring brother, I went and I said, what's going on? And he said, Steve, I locked the door. And I said, you better go tell dad. And he goes, you can't tell dad, he'll kill me. I said, okay, well, I'll tell you what. So I let this roll for a little while, and then I came to the rescue, and I told them, I said, don't worry, Mike, I did this, and I got my little tool, and I started picking the lock, and I couldn't get it open. <laughs> and I kept trying, and I kept trying, and I tried for a long time, and I couldn't get the lock open. And now my brother said to me, you better go get dad. And I said, don't get dad, he's gonna kill me. <laughs> but he did go get my dad. And my dad came up, and I'm still trying to pick the lock, and now I have my dad breathing over my neck saying, you better get this door open. And I'm like whispering in my head, dude, this is not helping, because now my hands are shaking. So we can't get this door unlocked, and the tub is filling, about to overflow, and I know some of you saying, there's a shut off down in the basement. We didn't think of that. But in this case, we're panicked, because there's a window that goes out from the sink side, and there was a roof, and then another window that went in. So my dad took the screen out of the window, put my brother on the roof, said, go watch the bathtub, and scream to me when we're getting close to that thing overflowing. So my brother's on the roof. Now this has gone way farther than I intended. I'm still trying to pick the lock. I can't get the lock open, and the water's getting closer. And my brother keeps yelling out, we're two inches, we're one inch, and my father is panicked, and we have neighbors now out watching this happening <laughs> and telling us advice and all of that. And all of a sudden, my brother yells out, it's a quarter inch. And my dad goes flying through the window, blew through the other screen on the other side, and went in and turned off the water. And I'm on the other side of the door going, I'm dead. <laughs> when he comes out the other side of that door, 
my dad was a pretty strong disciplinarian and I knew what was coming my way. And the door opened and I stood and I braced and my dad walked right by me and didn't say anything, nothing. I was like, what was that? <laughs> my dad gave me grace. Kind of even now, I remember that first period, I'm not getting what I deserved. Now, that's an illustration of grace, but I'm going to be honest. That's a really weak illustration of grace. It's real, but it doesn't even come close to illustrating the grace that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. It doesn't even touch it. In all that we have received through the grace imparted to us in life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, it may be impossible to fully describe the gift and the glory and the power we have received in the grace that Jesus Christ brought to us, but I'm going to try anyway. Because grace is so central to our faith, because grace is referred to so often in the Christian community, because grace is readily available, freely given, and always on display, even when we don't know it, because we're living under grace and the world is living under grace, even if we don't know it and we don't acknowledge it, we can forget grace's origin. And we can take for granted the great cost that it took to bring us grace. Grace can become so familiar that we can miss out on some of the gift, the great gift that grace is. And maybe even more sad, we miss out on the gift giver and falling deeper in love for him in all that he has done for us. My prayer is that in focusing on grace the only G, that only Jesus can give us, we will have renewed gratitude in the gift and renewed in greater love for the gift giver. Will you stand with me? to read the word of God. We're going to read John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. The words will be up on the screen. John writes, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he whom I said, He comes after me. He surpasses me because he was before me. From fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Let me pray for us. Lord, what we're going to be talking about today, a common word, a very, very uncommon gift. And so I pray the simple prayer, that spirit, you will dive deep into our hearts, that our gratitude will rise, our thanksgiving and our love will be lifted, and that we will gain new freedom as we realize the grace that we walk in because of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So, <clears throat> grace is a fairly common Phrase and it's a common term in the world. Grace is used to describe the, all these are definitions of grace: elegance or beauty, a pleasing or attractive quality. Grace is also used in the world to describe a manifestation of favor or goodwill. 
Favor in showing a grant or delay of a temporary immunity, like when we get grace to pay a bill a little late. Grace is a short prayer before a meal. Grace is acknowledged as the word as a formal title. Duke, Duchess, Archbishop. Grace, it's used a lot. And it becomes pretty common. Because grace is used so commonly in the world, I fear that we can get a bit watered down. It can be a bit overused and we can lose the unique understanding of the grace that we walk in. These definitions, I just read the world's definitions of grace. That grace has no relationship to the grace that is described and given to us through Jesus and described in the Bible. None. It's completely unique. In fact, there's really nothing special about grace in the world at all. Secular sources confirm the way we use grace in the world Nothing life-changing about that. It's a cute little term, but basically the the secular sources confirm, here's the definition, from a non-theist, naturalistic, relationalist perspective, the concept of grace appears to be the same non-existent concept as luck. That's the world's understanding of grace. Doesn't even really exist. It's kind of like this fake thing called luck. This could not be farther from the grace John is talking about. In verse 14, John introduces grace this way. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The Greek word for grace in the New Testament, it is charis, charis. And apart from a few references of a similar type of Hebrew word in the Old Testament, grace is hardly mentioned in the Old Testament. The concept didn't really exist. It was much like the Holy Spirit where grace would be given by God episodically or situationally. But there was no covering of grace over the world in the Old Testament. But John says grace has now come in the person of Jesus Christ. And that grace is not a cute little term to cover a stroke of good luck. Biblical grace is tied to the power and the glory of God. And that makes it entirely different. Let me say that again. Biblical grace, the grace that Jesus gave to us, significantly tied to the power and the glory of God. Because of grace, we are united with the power of God and the glory of God. That's different than the world. John goes on. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. In biblical grace, we are not lucky, but instead receive a flow a constant flow of God's glory and power and care and blessing. That's what Jesus ushered in. The inference and the language indicates that these things about grace initiated in the coming of Jesus. This is the grace we live under. It is inexhaustible. It will never run out. It just keeps coming and coming. And the words used describing Jesus and his grace... It is words that describing is um, the best way. He can't help it. 
He doesn't have to think and say, am I going to give grace in this situation? Grace pours from him as it pours from the throne and through him and through the spirit. We receive that flow of grace. Karl Barth made this bold statement. The grace of God is even greater than the miracles of God. Something to think about. We could debate that, but I like the thought process that it's, it raises the level. Grace is even greater than the miracles. John finished his introduction to the grace we received in Jesus by saying this, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This grace that is not luck but power, it only comes through Jesus. There is no other way for this great grace. There is no other tie to the power and the glory of God except in and through Jesus Christ. The grace that John is speaking of is uniquely of Jesus and uniquely Christian. I know that's not a popular claim, but these are unique to our faith and our worldview. And I can say that, that it's, I'll say something bold to say that it's grace that actually separates Christianity from every other world religion. That's a bold statement, but you can't find the concept of grace in any other religion. And I'm not the only one who says that. C.S. Lewis said this, and he's a whole lot smarter than I am. C.S. Lewis was at a British conference of comparative religions and religions. Lewis walked into the conference and there was a lively discussion with a bunch of theologians and a bunch of people talking about comparative religion. And he said, typical Lewis, what's all the rumpus about? They stopped and they said, well, we're all debating what, if anything, differentiates Christianity from all the other world religions we're talking. And Lewis responded immediately and said, that's easy, it's grace. And they thought about it, and they all agreed. It is grace that separates us. The freely, those secular sources, the uniqueness of Jesus' Christianity, in fact, it's confirmed even in the secular sources. The secular sources define all those other definitions that they have for grace, and then they add this footnote, confirming, and then there's this other grace. And here's what this other religious grace, Christian grace, looked like. It's defined, so even they get it, a freely given unmerited favor and love of God. It is the influence or spirit of God operating in humans to regenerate and strengthen them. Well, they got that right. A virtue or excellence of divine origin. Do you see what just happened? The secular world says, here's our grace. But we got to acknowledge there's this other grace. And it's divine. I can't say whether they believe it or not, but they recognize it. They recognize the difference. And that's something. Here's an official definition to the grace from our Christian worldview, okay? So if we wanna get, I, I just wanted to, I thought it was important that we yeah. 
kind of tie this up. Here would be the definition of grace from our Christian world. The unearned and undeserved payment for our sins for eternal life by God and the comforting, all-sufficient, mysterious presence of God to sustain us in this life. It's a twofold grace. You see that? Twofold grace. I don't know about you, but while it is completely correct and full of truth, it still sounds a little bit up there. So we're going to try and take that definition, and I want to try and put a little bit of meat on the bones, if that's possible, for such a great a concept. The grace ushered in and over us by Jesus is given to meet the two greatest human needs. Whether we know it or not, the grace of God is given to us to meet the two greatest human needs. The first one gets a lot of press and a lot of preaching about. The second one, not quite as much. The first need offered and fulfilled by grace and given by only Jesus is what is commonly referred to our salvation. Now, our salvation, I just want to throw this coming. Our salvation, you know our saying around here is salvation is not a destination. It's an invitation. What we mean by that is some of the common definition about salvation makes it sound like it's only there. We're being saved all the time. Our salvation, it's happening ongoing. And grace is a part of that. But the one that's preached the most is it's tied to that eternal understanding of once we die, where will we spend eternity? It's a, it's a good definition. It's understood to be the forgiveness of our sins and the assurance of eternal life in heaven. There is no way to overstate the importance of this truth. There just is no way to say how important is it that we have been by grace given the gift of eternal life with heaven. All our sins taken away. I do not want to minimize that one bit. It's just that it gets a lot of press. So I just want to say to you that that is, there is states that the world, the, the Bible clearly states the world is broken. Sin caused a separation from God. And Jesus solved that separation. The Bible clearly says that I am broken and full of sin and separated from God. The Bible clearly states that you are broken and full of sin and are separated from God. The Bible clearly states that all are broken, have sin, and are separated from God. As far as eternal life is concerned, as far as living beyond our mortal death with God, that gift is only received by the grace and could only be delivered through the grace of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No grace no eternal life. No Jesus, no grace. Therefore, anyone who is given eternal life will be because of Jesus. It's just that simple. And it's that wonderful. You can't achieve salvation on your own. It is free gift from God through Jesus. We All we have to do 
is accepted, that's grace. And that's cool. That truth is all through the Bible. Whether you believe the Bible or not, that's a different question. But one thing that is not in question is what I just said is all through the Bible. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time proving it. If you want to find it, read your Bible. If you want to connect with me, I would love to do that. If that is a new concept to you and you want more information about it, we'll have people at the Connect Center that can more than great guide you to where the scriptures are and talk you through this. So we're all about that. But I'm not going to take the time to prove it today because I want to make sure we get to the second grace. The one that doesn't get quite as much preaching time and is a little bit harder to even understand. The second less preached It's filled by grace, ushered in by Jesus. Instead of proving the first truth, I would like to, before we leave it, though, I want to give us a picture of this first truth, of this eternal life, this gift of forgiveness of sin, a beautiful picture that I believe is in the scripture that I'd leave us with. Peter has been revived by the Holy Spirit after failing Jesus. He is preaching in the square to thousands. He preaches one sermon, he preaches a second sermon, and then a lame man comes and Peter heals the lame man. And people are freaking out. They are coming after Peter and they are raising up Peter and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? Why are you acting as if I did something special? That we did something special? The only one who did this is the one you delivered up to have crucified. That's a tough statement to the crowd. But then Peter presents the invitation and the beauty of the gift of saving grace. Peter invites them because he says, therefore, therefore, repent. Acts 3.19, repent and return and receive the refreshing breath that comes from the presence of God. That's a beautiful imitation. That's what he says. Repent. The little act of turning around and heading in the opposite direction. Return. Once headed in that direction, just run to Jesus. That's it. And what do we find if we do that? This is the beauty of Peter's description. Who of us hasn't been, had the wind knocked out of us at one time or another? Whether you've fallen or in sport or been kicked in the gut with a ball, it doesn't matter. There's that awful, awful feeling that you, aren't, you can't breathe and you struggle. It's even hard to watch somebody go through this because they gasp and try to find oxygen for their lungs and for their body and you can't get it. And for that awful minute, you feel like you're never going to find it again. And it's scary and it's frightening and you can't do anything about it. And then all of a sudden, oxygen for your lungs and for life. That's the literal picture that Peter's giving. Repent Return and find the refreshing breath that comes from one place, the presence of God.
That's good stuff. And what happens when we do? Refreshing breath that never leaves us. So that is the picture of grace that brings the forgiveness of sin, a refreshing breath of life that can only come from the presence of God. That is the first refreshing breath when we first receive Jesus. But those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time know that that first breath, it's not the last one we're going to need. We fail again. We get our breath knocked out from us, sin over and over and over again, but it's always there for us, always waiting for us, always comes to us when we repent and return. Remember what we said? It's inexhaustible. It will never run out. And he doesn't have to think about it because it just flows from him. We have this grace only by Jesus. There is a grace from Jesus that saves us from our sin. The second grace is the grace that sustains us through our lives. Sustaining grace. It doesn't get quite as much press but it's part of the definition and part of the understanding, the biblical understanding, that not only does he save us, he comes and sustains us right. for all of life. Right. Because he knew life was not going to be easy and we wouldn't need him. One theologian describes our gift of sustaining grace this way, the comforting, all-sufficient, mysterious presence of God to sustain us in this the most popular and familiar reference to the sustaining grace in the Bible is the example of Paul. Paul has some affliction. We don't know exactly what that affliction was, but it must have been bad because he goes to God three different times and asks God in a very, very urgent way, could you please take this from me? And instead, Paul records after the third request that instead of healing or instead of God taking it away, he received a gift. And the gift was this, that God said to him instead, my grace will be sufficient for you, for my power will be made perfect in your weakness. That concept can't be overstated. Power in your weakness. That's God's promise to us. That's part of the grace that we are promised. In another letter to the believers in Rome, Paul writes this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Same Greek word as saving grace, charis, is used in this term. For sustaining grace. Same Greek word. Paul says that God's grace, we can actually have joy, peace, comfort, exalt, even in our tribulations. Jesus ushers in grace the world often does not recognize, but it is there. The world doesn't even understand. If God were to withdraw his grace from the world, even from those who aren't asking for it. We could not believe what we would be living under. Yeah. We're all living under God's grace. Whether we want to admit it or not, we, his followers, have a special grace that is given to us because we believe and follow. 
Yes, there is a grace that is saving us for then, and that's wonderful. And Jesus ushered in a grace that is sustaining, strengthening, and protecting us, guiding us, and saving us every minute of every day. And I don't know about you. I need that. I need to know about then, and I need to know about what's going to happen when I walk out of here. And there's been a lot of surprises in my life that I just plain wasn't ready for except for the grace of Christ. Faith is to believe one more day for the job. Sustaining grace is to believe one more day that the job that didn't come today will come in time. That's grace. It's a strength to get up and stand after you've lost a child, a spouse, a parent, or a friend. Jesus says, I will give you the strength to stand. Assurance that God is present even when you don't feel or hear him. Grace is patience to believe for something or someone despite all evidence to the contrary that it's repeated itself over and over and over again. Sustaining grace gives us hope for tomorrow when today stunk. Peter describes this grace beautifully. Listen to these words. I just, I've memorized this verse and I just say it to myself over and over because I think they're so, it's so honest. And it's so beautiful. He says in, in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, and though you haven't seen him, you love him. And though you still haven't seen him, you believe in him. You know he's there. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome the faith, the self, as your faith, the salvation of your souls. Salvation for every day. The gift of the grace of God that is only available through Jesus. To live victoriously in a challenging and broken that's the promise. A few comments to close out about this gift of grace. These are some personal comments, and I'm going to make them. It's my own personal experience, and I believe they line up with the scriptures. I'd be glad to talk about them, though. I understood my need for grace when I first gave my life to Jesus. I was certain I needed him to cleanse me from my sins. But I lived for many years, perhaps decades, believing that over time I would need that cleansing. I should need that cleansing less and less. I mean, I knew Jesus. I had the power of the Holy Spirit. Shouldn't I have the expectation that I would need the blood of the cross less and less? And I want to tell you today that I was wrong. At 61, I need the cross more today than I ever have in my entire life. In fact, if you could picture me, I walk every day 
leaning one shoulder on the cross. Because I know if I get separated from that, I'm lost. I have never taken communion consistently in my life up to coming here. And now, Linda and I take it every day together. Because we know we need his flesh. We need his blood. We need his grace to walk today, tomorrow, the next day, and for all eternity. In fact, in fact, the more you get to know Jesus, the more you need and realize because of his holiness how much you need the cross and how much you need his sacrifice. A few things I've learned along the way, if I sin and I feel crushing condemnation, that is not my shepherd. That is Satan. But if I sin and I don't feel some grief over that sin, and I don't understand the cost there was to have it forgiven, then I have not looked at the cross enough. I make myself watch the Passion of the Christ every year because I need to force myself to see the cost of the forgiveness that Jesus has given me. You will know it's grace over sin because it's a miracle and there's nothing that feels like it. A miracle of deep conviction without any condemnation. That's a miracle. A miracle of an awareness of the grace came at a great price and yet the assurance that there are no strings attached. That's a miracle. And a miracle of immediate freedom of the weight of that sin that you rejoice in and at the same time, the strongest desire to go and sin no more. There's no permission to walk in that sin. You don't want to. There's the invitation out and into something better. Always there. There simply is nothing like the feeling of washing of sin by the grace of Jesus Christ. And what of this sustaining grace? The grace to live every day no matter what. I'm certain some of you winced when I talked about that today because there are some times in life when you are neck deep in it and you have prayed and you have asked and doubt starts to creep in. And I know some of you winced because I know what some of you are going through. And I know you winced because there's times when I have winced. In the hardest times of my life, when someone starts talking about the promises of God, I wince a little bit and say, really? Because I'm starting to wonder, will he come? Will he be enough for this? To you, I say, I'm sorry for your struggles. But everything I'm telling you is the truth. He will come. He will be enough. And he's the only one that can. And that is the promise. With that faith, I want to ask for a testimony from all of you. 
for those in this room that are really, really struggling. You see, because God says that his truth is confirmed by two or more witnesses. So I want to ask you today, if you are here today and have had a point in your life where you needed something only Jesus could give, please listen to these and don't stand unless you can testify to this. But if you are here today and have had a point in your life where you needed something only Jesus could give, if you have been in a financial situation where all plans had run out and still somehow there was enough when you needed it, if you've had a marriage that was on the last shoestring and nothing worked, not counseling, not effort, not anything you did, and yet you are married today because of the grace of Jesus Christ. If you have needed a job and it came just in time when you had lost all hope that it could come in time, if you have had depression that you simply could not shake, not with counseling or the help of medicine, or and Jesus lifted that weight from you, if you had an addiction that ruled your life for years and nothing worked and now you are free, if you have lost a loved one that you thought you'd never smile again and yet today you walk, in faith and in joy. I want to ask you, will you stand and give testimony to the grace of Jesus Christ? And there it is. Can't always prove it except by the testimony of the saints. And no one can take that from us. Look around. And if you struggle, gain strength by these testimonies. And I promise you, you too will stand and be able to give a testimony to the greatest power on the face of the earth, the grace of Jesus Christ that we live under. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for another thing that we talked about this week that only you could give, for the power that is beyond full description and yet the beauty of it we feel in this room right now and are grateful. Lord, could we be selfish and ask for more just because we need it and just because you love to give it? And so those two things unite. So we thank you for the beauty of grace that the world can't fully understand but even they are benefiting from. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So the invitation, our prayer team is going to be come up front while the worship team is praying. The invitation is simple. If that forgiveness is what you're looking for, please come and someone here will pray with you. You don't have to tell them what you need the forgiveness from. Just tell them you need prayer. And if you're going through something that just feels like it's going to crush you, will you come forward and trust in the prayer and trust in the unending flow of the glory and the power of God to move into that need as someone prays with you today? Let's pray together if we can.